Man, guys, welcome out tonight. I am excited to be here. I was not ready for this. Um, I was ready to preach, but I wasn't ready for all of you guys just join together again in one service. This is like looking out and seeing everybody together. Man, that's beautiful. Um, I guess the last several months for an introvert, it's been their dream, and it's been my social butterfly self nightmare, uh, being away from everybody else. And uh, so I'm glad to see everybody back together, uh, even though we're not all quite together yet like we have been in the past. It's exciting to look out and see uh, everybody that's here. Um, man, what a beautiful picture. We've actually had uh, conversations of doing a church service exactly like this on the lawn. Everybody sitting outside in chairs, and uh, it, I guess it took Corona to make it happen, but it's actually really, really awesome. Um, and uh, we probably would have picked a warmer date if it was in our control, but here we are, and it's, it's gorgeous and beautiful, and I love it. Um, tonight's service is brought to you by the Conversation of Death. Uh, welcome, visitors. We're going to talk about death a lot tonight, I guess. Uh, our music, our preaching, our baptism, and in a few minutes, our Lord's Supper, the conversation is death. And uh, that will bother a lot of people, and some people it won't bother at all, and for some people, we'll walk away with a little bit of perspective, I hope. Um, for a lot of people, the, the conversation of death, the topic of death is, is very tough, uh, and for other people, we can just embrace it fully. Um, but if we have the mindset, the scriptural mindset, believers don't have to be scared of death. Believers don't have to fear death. The first picture of death we've already had is the, the picture of baptism. We have a picture of somebody literally that's dead. Not that's about to die to themselves, but the scriptural picture that's painted of the non-believers, they are already dead. They are a dead man walking. Um, we have the picture in, of the valley of dry bones. The, the dead person is not alive at all. It's not that they need polishing up. They are completely dead in their sin, and they're being buried and brought up to new life. They become a new creation. So as we have this conversation of death, the conversation is not a conversation without hope. It is a conversation with a lot of hope, and when we have the biblical perspective, it is a powerful idea that we should often think about. So death but hope. Death, but life. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into your word tonight, speak truth to our hearts. Reveal your word to us, because your words are the words of life. Father, teach us to press into you and let go of our grip on this world. Teach us to find all of our hope in you and in nothing else. Amen. So we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been going through it. Um, if you've never been through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, it is quite dark. But we're going to jump into it right now in chapter 9, if you want to make your way there. And, uh, and I'll pick up and start reading in verse 1. The subtitle is called, Death Comes to All. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. But all this I laid to heart, examining it, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds in it are in the hand of God, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same events happen to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one, so it, as the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears it. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. 
This is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they, la- while they live, and after that they go on to the dead. But he, is, he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for their memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more snare in all that is done under the sun. Verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and and in your toll at which you toll under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Man, so Solomon uh, in Ecclesiastes, we've said before, man, Solomon was dark. Solomon was heavy. Uh, Tim earlier described him as being like Eeyore coming through and just being down. And I think that the more he goes on, the darker Solomon seems to get, and the darker he gets. And I believe right here um, in chapter 9, that's uh, what Aiken, uh, whose outline I'll be using tonight, um, Dr. Aiken says uh, that this is the crescendo to the, meaning of, uh, to the meaningless life. This is where it all boils over right here. This is where it builds up to. And he's basically saying, man, all of this stuff that we do, all that we're chasing after, it's all vanity, it's all meaningless. Man, thanks, Solomon, for the cheery moments for this outdoor service right now. It, it feels heavy, but remember, as we said, it's, it's, not, it, it's not just a dark conversation. Solomon is bringing a perspective to us so that we can, from here on out, handle death. That's the desire is that we would have a right mindset of death, which would give us a right mindset of life. So the point A and my sub point, uh, point number one being that death can render all of life actions meaningless. Death can render all of life's actions meaningless. A couple of things that we have to know. Uh, the first is that death comes to everybody. A lot of us, well, all of us will say we know that's true. But if we look at the way we live, we don't live with that in mind. A lot of us live like we're going to live forever. A lot of us have mindsets that the people in our lives are going to be around forever. So the way that we go about life shows that we don't actually believe that death is going to come to us all. But we might believe that reality. We don't live in it anymore. We don't live with that mindset that this is not going to be forever. It doesn't matter how we divide ourselves as a people group. It doesn't matter how we live our life. You have the most healthy people the least healthy people, you have the people that are, you know, taking all their vitamins and using all their essential oils, they're going to think they're going to live forever. It's not going to be the case, is it? Death is going to come to us all. The other part about this of, of death rendering all of life's actions meaningless is that our works are lost in death. When we die, all the things that we've built up are gone to us. They're done. The way that he puts it in, in, his, uh, in his book, he says, Death's tyranny makes life meaningless because if, in this, if this life is all there is, then death cancels everything out. 
if the only thing that life is is what's under the sun, as he often describes in Ecclesiastes, if this is all there is, once death happens, everything's done. And so if I was a non-believer, I would be the guy that would live without hope, without anything, because I would think that death is the end. And in the mindset of the believer, we understand and realize that this is not all there is. And in this dark picture that Solomon keeps painting, this is what he is leading us to. There is more than life under the sun. There is more. He paints the picture saying that a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, we are a society that loves dogs, but back in this day, dogs were not noble creatures. Dogs was not man's best friends. Dog would have been like a rat. Dogs would have been like a, um, a vulture. They were scavengers. They would have went around and... Uh, you know, the story of, of um, where they, the dog looked up the, the blood and the, the, the people. The dogs would eat flesh. Dogs would not have been a very noble creature. They would have been looked down upon. But he says it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. Lion being a very noble creature. What he's saying is there's hope in life. There is hope in life because while you have life, you have a chance to set things right. While there is life in your bones, you can start living the right way. You can start living with an eternal perspective. If I were to put in the language of Paul, Paul says that uh, if I continue to live, this means fruitful labor for me. This means that I will live bearing fruit for the Lord. So while death can render all of life's actions meaningless, death can also render all of life's actions meaningful. Death can render all of life's actions meaningful. So how do, we, how do we transition that? We know death's coming. We know life is tough. So what is our call to do? Picking up in verses 7 through 10. We have a call to enjoy life. As a believer, we are called to enjoy life. Now, a lot of people's views of Christianity is that they're a bunch of sticks in the mud. Now, uh, the often view of Christianity is uh, that we are people that just follow a bunch of rules. We are people who live by laws. There's a whole long list of things you do, things you don't do. You have to live by this. We look different than everybody else, and we're goody two-shoes, and take your pick of the language they tend to use. We were actually having this conversation with the bridge class this past Wednesday that uh, the view of Christianity, of being a bunch of rules, is a flat-out lie. It's wrong. The other part of that, that, that conversation is that that's also a very boring life because we all know where the law leads. A bunch of rules, is, we can't follow those rules. And so what it leads to is an emptiness and a brokenness and a hopelessness. But as a believer, we're not called to a group of laws or a list of things we go by. We are called to a relationship with the living God. We are called to a relationship with the eternal God. And there is nothing better than that. Now, as a believer... We do have rules that we live by, but those rules are not because they're a list of things we do and don't do. Those rules that we live by are really things that set us free to enjoy the Lord. The conversation that I use is I have a wife. I have a lovely wife and five wonderful kids, but she's the better part of the deal, even though my kids are lovely. And I don't go around chasing other women, not because it's a rule that I should follow. If it's a rule that you should follow, we see that people break that rule often. My desire is to enjoy my wife and enjoy our relationship and cherish her 
So what that leads to is not cheating on my wife. I'm not using that as a rule to follow. It's a joy to walk in. It's no burden to only have one woman. It's no burden to me because I cherish her and I value her and I love our relationship. It's not a rule that burdens me. It's something that frees me up to enjoy her and for her to enjoy me. A lot of believers say that fun is the same thing as sin and we should avoid it. And if you look at different periods of history, there's always been different groups of Christians that rise up to take that uh, that mindset that you know we should avoid fun and not have any pleasures. But if you read here in Ecclesiastes, he takes that exact mindset. He tells us to enjoy life. But what we have to remember the perspective we have to keep is that enjoying life is not the same thing as enjoying the world. It's not the same thing as enjoying the things of the world. He goes on to describe life to us. He tells us to eat, drink, wear white. What does wear white mean? It was celebrating clothes. He's calling us to celebrate. He calls us to eat, enjoy a meal. I'm not ready to write a commentary on this or stake a lot of things on this, but I think it's kind of funny that, uh, that or not funny, I think it's interesting that the things that he starts off telling us to do are things that often involve fellowship with other people. They're things that call, to, call us to be around other people and enjoy each other. Times of meal are often times of fellowship. We're about to enjoy one in just a few minutes, I think. We still got food coming? We're praying food comes. <laughs> it's not here, but if it doesn't show up, Bojangles and Cookout are right down the road. We'll run, grab it, and come right back. We'll enjoy each other. Hopefully the other food comes. I'm sure it will. They've never let us down before. Hoping this is not the first. But we're called to enjoy enjoy life. He calls us to eat. He calls us to drink. He calls us in this passage to drink a, a glass of wine. I think what he's really getting at is that was the, the drink of the common drink then. It would be no different than saying enjoy a glass of coffee with each other. Enjoy hanging out and, and celebrating and fellowship and life with each other. He goes on to tell us to make sure we take the oil, anoint with oil. There's also the idea that oil might be a, a hint of taking care of ourselves. He calls us to enjoy our wives. I think part of that would be to enjoy our family. And he calls us to work hard. God has a desire for us to enjoy life. He's not putting a burden on us that's too heavy to bear. He's caring for us left and right, left and right. If we look at all that God is and all that God does, we will see a pattern of God's care for the believer and the non-believer. But walking with God, we see that he wants us to enjoy fellowship with him and fellowship with each other. And as he defines us enjoying life, it's simply not enjoying friendship with the world. And that's the difference where we, we, we often don't, we don't make that transition. We don't just say, let's, when we say enjoy life, we want to do whatever pleases our flesh. But the reality is that we want to do what pleases us to do what God made us to do, which is enjoy Him. And God is setting us up here in Ecclesiastes to actually do that. So the temptation as we, as we go to enjoy life, uh, the, what we hear people say often is, uh, man, live like today's your last day. Live like today's the last day you're going to live. And I think that's actually not a wise way to go about it. When you live like today's the last day, you go to pleasure things and you go to avoiding responsibilities. It's not live like today is the last day. The idea is more live like you have a set number of days. Live like you only have a certain amount of time 
to accomplish your purposes. A couple years ago, Kelly and I began talking about uh, moving overseas to do mission work. We wanted to move to Nicaragua and work with orphans. And um, that was actually, you know, in conversation before we got married, that's the conversation that we have. We would still love to go somewhere, uh, I think when we retire now, and do, do orphan work in, in the mission field. Um, but we began having a conversation about, you know, is it time to go now? Uh, and ultimately, I believe that God just basically said, you know, you're going you're gonna to stay here for a while, at least in this season. Um, but when we started having those conversations about leaving, it put a lot of things in perspective. Because there's a lot of things that we wanted to accomplish before we left. And we realized that if we leave, we're going, we only have this amount of time to accomplish all the things that we want to accomplish. There's a lot of relationships that we want to see the relationships that we've been invested in, we want to see the fruit of that where that person comes to know the Lord. Um, we were working with My Life Matters, and in the spot we were at, we want to see My Life Matters get to this spot before we leave. So it's not a really healthy time to leave right now, so these things have to happen, and we only have this amount of time, so we actually have to labor hard to make sure those things happen. We have to live with purpose. We have to live intentionally. And so when we live with this idea that there's a set number of days that we have, we begin to evaluate what things are actually most important to us and what things do we want to invest in. There are a lot of things that we can invest in. Now, I'm not just talking about financial investment. I'm talking about the investments with your time, your talents, and your treasure. There's a lot of things that we can invest in with the labor that we have, with the gospel work that we want to accomplish. The question is, what are we going to invest in? When we begin to realize that we have a limited number of days, we have to carefully pick what we are going to do. I had a missionary friend come to town, and we, we talked on and off a little bit, and as he was coming through town, I was like, hey, man, stop by Roxborough and hang out with us for a little bit. He's like, man, that sounds amazing, but I've got like eight things I have to get done as I travel through, and if I, if I stop there, I can't get one or two of those other things done. We only have so much investment that we can do, and he had to carefully evaluate which things he wanted to invest in. Now, he would love to sit down and have a conversation with me, but he couldn't invest in everything. When we live with a set number of days in mind, we realize we can only invest in so much. If we take the life of our children right now and look at it that way, we only have maybe 18 years with them. So what things are we going to instill in them? What things do we want them to value when we're gone? What things do we want them to do with their time? What lessons do they want? Do we want them to say they learn from watching us? Do we want them to be the next best athlete in Roxborough? And put all of our time into their growing up in the sports culture or dance culture or whatever that activity might be? Or do we want them to cherish the body of Christ and pour into their spiritual development? Parents, we only have a small number of days with our kids. And even if the, all of them play out, we're not promised all of them anyway. So what things are we leaving our families with? Husbands, what things are you leaving your wives with? What are we investing in? If time is li limited, we have to learn to focus on the ultimate. Tim often says, you want to say it? Ultimacy? Ultimacy rules the media. 
Ultimacy rules immediacy. How many times? How many of you have heard Tim say that recently? How many of you heard him say it more than ten times recently? He's saying it left and right, left and right. You know what? It's a fantastic thing to keep saying. We have to begin to focus on the ultimate over what's right in front of us, left and right. If all we ever do is the things that are right in front of us, we will miss the most important things. That's an idea that goes across a lot of different ideas, Tim. As I was processing, a lot of times you say it, it's not in this context, but it fits this context also. So what are we getting at? God has called us to enjoy life. Believers, let's enjoy life. Let's eat. Let's enjoy food. I enjoy food. I enjoy all kinds of food, particularly fried food. I should enjoy other kinds of food more than those foods, but let's enjoy food. Let's enjoy fellowship. Let's enjoy hanging out together. Let's enjoy celebrating. How beautiful was it to come around tonight and celebrate together the baptism of four young believers? How beautiful is that? Those are things worth celebrating. We focus our attention on celebrating victories of sports teams that have no eternal significance. Let's put the same effort into celebrating the spiritual lives of the people around us. Let's put more effort into celebrating the spiritual development of the people around us. Let's focus on the ultimate because our days are limited. So let's enjoy life, but not as the world. Let's enjoy life as God has intended us to enjoy life. You know what? We have the ultimate picture of what, that, of what life is. It's Jesus. Jesus tells us that he is life. He tells us that he has come to give us life and to give it more abundantly. We have a picture of what life actually is. When I was in high school, I witnessed to a guy uh, that was in a couple of my classes. We were on the bus together. He said, man, I got to figure it out. Here's how we're just going to play out. I'm going to live my life right now like everybody else around me. I'm going to party. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do whatever I do. When I get older, I'm going to put those things behind and live a life that pleases God. He couldn't come to the mindset that what he thought life was, wasn't actually life. He viewed life as the things of this world and the desires of the flesh. And if I choose to follow God, I have to give those desires up. But the reality is that isn't life. That's worldliness. And life is so much more than what the things of this world has to offer. Life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Point number three tells us that Jesus delivers from death and gives us abundant, eternal life. Man, what a beautiful picture. The picture that Solomon paints that in Ecclesiastes that's, that people are longing for, it's what Jesus offers. Jesus delivers us from death. Death means multiple things in Scripture. De Jesus is delivering us from a present separation from God and eternal damnation, eternal hell. Jesus is delivering us from separation from, with God. A lot of what we look at, if we get Jesus, we get eternal life, but we're missing the current separation that we have with God. So when we look at eternal life, our view of eternal life is often when we die, we go to heaven, but it is so much more than that. What is eternal life? Andrew sang it for John 17, 3. This is eternal life that we know him, 
Eternal life is knowing Jesus. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life does not start when we die and go to heaven. Eternal life starts right now. Eternal life starts right then when those four young men knew Christ. Not their baptism, when they knew Christ. And the baptism is part of that life, part of that obedience that they walk in. Eternal life is knowing the Father. So what does that look like? It looks like we as a body, we as a church, we start investing into the spiritual life of those young men. We don't treat them like kids. We have serious conversations about their spiritual walk with the Father. We're not going to teach simple lessons. Noah is in my class this year for C3, or bridge, our bridge class, our sixth grade class. And Man, we're not, we're not painting with crayons this year, man. We're, we're, we're learning adult stuff. We're growing up. We're going to take our faith serious and learn how to walk in it. I won't treat Noah, who's a sixth grader, like a little middle schooler who doesn't know any better. Noah is not the church of tomorrow. He is the church of right now. And we will invest in him like we invest in any adult believer. We will invest in him and the younger guys that were with him, Colton and Hank, and I'm missing one. Alex, there we go. Your, your face was hidden right behind that mirror to me a little bit. I couldn't. I was looking for you a second ago. We will begin to invest in these guys, not like they're young guys, not like they're second-class citizens, because they are the body. We will invest seriously in them. We will invest so that they can begin to know what it's like to walk in eternal life right now. A lot of believers are hanging on to the hope of eternal life with the Father in heaven while missing walking with God right now. Man, what a sad picture. Because God is investing in us right now. God wants to be there to comfort us in our anxiety, and our depression, and our brokenness, and our guilt, and whatever we are walking through in this season right now, God says, I will be there for you right now. A lot of believers miss that. A lot of people don't understand how we can lean in on God in the season we're walking in right now. But the wonderful news about God is he cares about the condition we are in in this present life. I thought about this a lot, and I've I thought that if God is only a God of, of heaven or hell, that's not a God that I really care for. That's not a God that I really want to know and submit my entire life to. A God that will be absent with all the pain that we're going through right now. Life is downright difficult at times. Life is downright difficult for seasons and sometimes for many years. The good news is we don't serve a God who's absent from those seasons. We don't serve a God who's absent from those hard times. When the author of Psalm 42 says, my tears have been my food. It's all that I've known. It's all that I've had. He knows that God is there. And while he couldn't feel it at that time, he says, I'm going to keep preaching to myself. Trust in God. Trust in God. Trust in God. We have a God who is present in our afflictions. What, what more beautiful picture of God do we want than that? And do we understand 
what that really means. We often feel alone, but we never are. Jesus gives us abundant life, and he gives us eternal life. That's stored in a place where we can't mess it up. That's stored in a place the devil can't steal it away from us. Man, we serve a beautiful God. So we have this picture painted before us of death, and for a lot of people, death is heavy. But from the mindset of the scripture, we take that mindset on, it becomes free. That we don't have to be like everybody around us. We don't have to pursue the world and the things of this world. We can say no to looking like the people around us and run after the Father. I know as a young person in high school, I struggled not being like everybody around me. I struggled with it. I wanted to be accepted like everybody around me. I wanted people to look at me and, 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 and like me. I mean, take your pick. It led me to making several stupid decisions. Because I wanted the world to accept me. I mean, there's pressure to dress a certain way, act a certain way, participate in a certain way. There's all kinds of pressure this world has so that we fit in with everybody around us. And I believed that pressure for a long time. We don't have to be like everybody else. When we live with ultimacy in mind, we realize we don't have to answer every little question that pops up. We don't have to take on every little worry that comes our way. We don't have to take those things on. Man, believers, let's be free to pursue the Father. Let's be free to pursue Jesus with all that we are recklessly leaving this world behind not being slowed down by the things of this world let's learn to enjoy life together let's learn to walk with Jesus together let's walk in this freedom that a lot of us didn't know we had let's pray Father help us to accept this heavy conversation of death, that it's not something we have to be scared of, but it's something that could motivate us, it's something that could transform our, our thoughts to focus on what's actually important. Father, let us not take life for granted. Let us not take long seasons of life for granted. Let us not ex expect to have something you haven't promised us. Let us serve you with all that we are. Father, teach us to think differently. Teach us to free ourselves from the lies that this world has told us and what we should look like, how we should live, how we should behave. Father, empower us to walk a life like Scripture paints, that it's okay to be different. We see the world transforming before our eyes. We see church culture leaving. We see pressures talking negatively about what a Christian is and believes. Father, let us not buy that image. Let us not believe the hype. Let us trust you more than this world. Let us trust you more than the media of today. Let us trust you more than Facebook what anybody else would have us believe. 
Father, lead us to value the ultimacy, not the immediacy. In your name we pray. Amen. The last picture we have of, the, of tonight of death is communion. The blood and the body. Uh, at East Rock, we practice an open communion. If you are a baptized believer, we invite you to come in and participate with communion with us. Uh, Casey's walking around, uh, passing some more out. We have uh, these uh, corona-free um, elements right here, pre-packaged, so uh, nobody's germs got on them. And so if you would like one of those elements and you don't have them, uh, Casey's bringing them around right now. Um, I think everybody's got it. So our last picture of death tonight. Like we need one more reminder of death, but we, we have one more right here. This is the body of Jesus hung on a cross till he was dead for the salvation of our sins. Death, but life. Death, but life to those who receive it. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Lastly, the blood. The blood of Jesus poured out. The blood of Jesus poured out so that we can know the Father right now in this life. So we don't have to walk through this but we can walk through this life being lifted up by the Father. The blood of Jesus that reconciles us to the Father. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you. Tim actually stepped around to give me a reminder that. Oh, yeah, cut it off. Say what? Is there a particular okay, order? Stop. Finish? Yeah, finish it. Uh,